The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Good morning. It's my wonderful privilege uh, to uh, introduce to you uh, Trey Williams. Many of you know Trey. He and his wife came and joined us in 2007. They've been a part of us for 10 years now. He was one of those original group of armor bearer guys that we put together when we really believed that God had a calling on his life. Uh, uh, Trey comes to us after serving career Navy 23 years in, in the U.S. Navy. Are you, are you want to applaud that? Amen. Thank you for that service, brother. He and Christy have four children. They have Brittany, Savannah, Lily, and you've seen Trayson running around here, I'm pretty sure. He has a master's degree in education. He's just joined our staff as the uh, pastor of life groups, and I've asked him if he would come and preach to you this morning. Brother, tell us what God has put on your heart. Thank We're you, glad Pastor. Good morning, everybody. I was just looking at the monitor. They say it adds 10 pounds. I think it's 20 I'm always aware that I am woefully inadequate, so please let us take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for the time to be with your church family, and I pray that the words we hear are yours, that each hears according to their need, and that you will be glorified in all this said. In your son Jesus Christ's name, amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And so while you get there, I want to share a little something with you about me. Growing up, I was a show-off. And there was no greater way to perform than to be Evil Knievel in 1976. I found that watching him wasn't enough to make me successful at jumping things. In those days, we had this thing called the big wheel. And I had lots of siblings and cousins, so we had about 12 big wheels. And I would line them up like buses, build a ramp. I was told not to. But when my mother was away at church one Sunday afternoon, just before school started, I had the ultimate chopper to jump the big wheels. I'd sawed my brother's forks off his bicycle and put them on mine. It extended it out. I got a running start. I took off. I looked very evil Knievel-like. And that's the last thing I remember. (laughs) According to my siblings, I got lots of height. I cleared all the big wheels. But apparently when you take the forks and extend them like that, It weakens the forks. So when I hit the ground, the tire went that way, the bicycle went that way, and I went this way. What does all of that have to do with what we're going to talk about today? Although I had a desire, I lacked the foundational work to make me successful. So our story picks up with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, 
They worshiped him, but some doubted. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I have to stay on my notes. My wife told me I have to stay on the notes because I have a tendency to run off into the woods. So please bear with me if I pause for a moment. Plus, I'm from the South, and if I start talking really fast, you probably won't understand me. So I'm trying to relax and speak to you from from what we're supposed to cover today. So we pick up in the story where Jesus has went and called his disciples. And he spent three years with them. And now he's telling them, you know, because as the process went on, they thought that he was coming to bring the kingdom now, that he was going to bring glory back to Israel at this time. And he had these huge crowds following him. And then all of a sudden something changed. It did not work out the way that they thought it was going to work out. So Jesus comes back. So you can imagine what they felt like as they stood on this mountain and watch him ascend to heaven. We just lost him. We just got him back after three days. It's been about 40, 50 days, and now he's leaving again. Are we really prepared for this particular mission? And I can only, in my mind, it looks like this. They're all standing there looking concerned, and the angels are smiling. Because if you've ever gone on a long trip, and you're a son and you're going home, how exciting is that? And anybody who's ever been in the military know that feeling of somebody coming home. So they were probably really excited that he was going home. And the poor guys that stood on the ground said what are we going to do in the meantime and so God had given them directions now how does this all tie into um, our sermon series of our priorities why is discipleship one of our priorities first we need to understand what a disciple is a disciple is a learner it's the person who wants to be like their teacher So for us, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to be disciples so we can look more like Jesus. Discipleship is our priority because it's biblical. Every Christian should help unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. Paul said in Ephesians, we need to live worthy of our calling. How do you live worthy of your calling? I don't know about you, but if Jesus looked like he'd been dipped in pickle juice and stood like this every day, who wants to follow that kind of Jesus? Who wants to follow a Jesus who looks exactly like the rest of the world, but with a whole bunch of rules? It's funny, every time you talk to an unbeliever, the one thing they say about Christians is you have too many rules. And the funny thing about it, when you love the Lord, you don't see the rules. 
because only the people who want to break rules usually are the people who are concerned with rules. I couldn't tell you what the speed limit is on Shiloh because I try to stay within the speed limit most of the time. (laughs) But the reality is, if I wanted to break the law and worried about that, I'd know exactly what the speed limit is. I bet if you ask anybody who likes to break rules what the rules are, they usually know them by every letter. But we don't have to live like that. We want to live with a sweet attitude, a sweet demeanor. We want to be hard on problems, but soft on people. Complainers isn't a place for people in church. Because you know what we all really deserve? We all deserve death and condemnation. But God has given us the greatest gift that he can ever give you. It's funny, when I read the Bible the first time before I had children, to hear the words, he gave his only begotten son. Sounds good. I'll tell you, I love all of you in this room. But I got a little boy that I don't think I'd want to give for any of you. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying I, the value of that is not lost on me as I became a father and you start to realize God loves me that much. I deserve nothing to do. I don't deserve that. But he loves us that much. And that's what he gives us. Secondly, every Christian should have other believers grow to become more mature in their walk. And further, Matthew, he says, teach them to obey everything I have told you. We all need help. God says we're all like sheep and gone astray. And, you know, being Southern, I'll do a Southern translation instead of the Greek. That boy ain't right. I've heard that before in my life. And, you know, it says none, no none are righteous. It's kind of like saying these folks ain't right. Did you know that you never have to fence in sheep? Do you know why people fence in sheep? It's convenient. But the truth is, you don't have to fence in sheep. If anybody's from a farm or a ranch, you probably know this to be very true. And you can't fence in a goat. You can make it 80 feet high. You can make it 10 feet deep. You can put barbed wire on it, and he'll be standing on the other side looking at you going, what are you doing? Because goats will not be fenced. But sheep don't have to be fenced. And if we're sheep, we hear his voice and we follow him. As believers, we want to be able to hear his voice. In Hebrews, it says, exhort each other daily while it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort means to encourage them to do something. In this case, it means to do it God's way that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's funny, as you look at the news today and and all those things that's happening, there's a whole bunch of people who will tell you, I do what I do because that's what God told me to do. God does not deal in hate, but you'll have people who say, I'm following the Bible in my hate. And the reality is, it is the deceitfulness 
of sin that would have a person say that about the God we serve. Because our God doesn't do that kind of work. Our God says everyone, anyone who believes in the Son, come to me. Anyone. And so it's always funny when you hear, but that's the deceitfulness of sin. And if we're not careful and we don't understand who God is, all of us are likely to fall to that. Next, every Christian should seek to get help from other believers to keep growing. In Philippians, it says, therefore, and this is Philippians 2, verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That says to us that you, me, we all have a responsibility to work out our salvation. A lot of people like to think, and I don't know who the lot of people is. We like to use those terms, a lot of people. It's common to hear, well, I'm just doing the best that I can. The best that I can, we should be working out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. And that's being active and seeking out opportunities to continue to grow, to continue to be a part of what God would have us to do. I remember when my wife and I were first moving here to Billings. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I kind of stick out in the church. I think it's my hair color. I came from a church of about 50 people. My wife and I hosted the small group. Um, We set up every Sunday because we were a church plant. Um, We were involved with every aspect of the entire church. And then one day, standing in the Lavar Valley, the Lord said, I think you should move to Montana. And like most people, when the Lord tells them to do things, I looked at him and said, this guy moved to Montana what are you going to do with me there I visited two churches at the second church there's a gentleman who stood to the pulpit and said turn with me if you would in your Bibles too okay then I heard the word of God okay then I made an appointment to see the pastor which he thought was pretty bizarre why is this guy coming to see me after one service? Because I needed to know that if I'm bringing my family here, I want to know who you are. And over the years, we've gotten to know each other. We show up at Billings, and I say, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever you want to do with me, I'm yours. No strings attached, because sometimes we like to attach strings. I'll do A if you do B. Lord doesn't make those deals. He says, if you're willing, I'll show you some amazing stuff. We show up. We attend church. We become small group leaders. Never thought that was going to happen because I'll tell you a little story about that here in a second. Number two, become an armor bearer. And I remember the pastor and I were talking, and one day he comes to me. He goes, I'm sorry, but I kind of forgot about you. And I said, When it's my turn, I just want to be faithful. 
and here 10 years later I stand before you as the small groups life groups pastor so how do you get from there to there you get there by discipleship so as every Christian we should seek to help others to grow in our belief and for me it was Stephen Julie Lorks who walked me through a lot of stuff it was Pastor Paul who walked me through a lot of stuff it was Rich Shelnut who walked me through a lot of stuff it was that first little church I went to and I remember when Christy and I were talking about leaving I said it was kind of like being in a nursery where there were 15 couples who had one priority the water people and the story about the water people as we were driving through town my wife wanted a bottle of water it happened to be a ministry outreach we joined the church we were one of the only couples that stayed for the first period so we had 15 couples who would pull us aside and love on us and work us through those things that we need to be worked through because you don't just get dunked and come out ready to go you get dunked and you come out ready to learn and they walked us through all these things but it was because we were willing to be those kind of people who sought to grow not waited for growth to come to us discipleship is our priority because it's how Jesus did it Jesus ministered for three years to the masses but did you know most of his time was spent in his small group he had a small group of 12 people and even in that small group he broke it down to a group of three he primarily spent his time with these men and that was their classroom so I, I kind of put it into three ways. We kind of had the classroom phase. For us, it was when we joined that small church and these people would take us in. That was our classroom. You know, my first small group experience, and my wife still laughs about this, when asked why was I at my first small group, my response was, and I'm sorry, honey, my wife has a head full of bad wiring and I'm here to get her fixed I kid you not but here's what's wonderful about that they didn't shut me down they didn't convince me how I was crazy but they loved me and they took my hand and said you know maybe you're just a little bit off and I'm going to tell you about a year later, looking in the mirror, I realized, oh, that's the problem, that guy. The reality was I was looking outside of me when the rea- I was the problem. My heart was the problem. And in that group, as it began to change, you start growing and realizing, wait a minute, I need to make some changes here. And when Jesus was walking with his guys, read the Bible and they'll tell you they needed a lot of help to get to the next step. Because on many occasions, they were constantly doing things where you just look at them and scratch your head. But don't be too harsh on them. Because I'm sure if you took some time and looked at yourself, there'll be moments where you scratch your head. He took them everywhere he went with them. That was the lab. That's where you take them and you show them how to do it. Like the example I gave you with Evil Knievel, I watched him on TV. I watched the movie. Anybody watch the movie? It was kind of bad. 
Um, and they, I watched all of his documentaries on how to jump and the science behind jumping. But you know what would have been better? If he'd have taken me and showed me and walked me through it. And that's what Jesus did for the disciples. He took them, he showed them, and he walked them through it. And then he taught them, trained them, and invested his life in them. And in doing that, that became where they actually got an opportunity to apply what it is they had learned. How many of us get a chance to really apply what we have learned in our life as Christians? I know how to lead a small group because I've been in a small group. I've seen what happens. I've been formally trained in small group leadership. And in that, I got to see the mistakes. And I got to see how difficult it is. Because when you watch it on TV, it looks really, really easy. But when you actually have to put the rubber on the road, it gets very, very difficult. You know, it's funny how you see, um, and I probably shouldn't pick on kids today, but one of the things they like to do is, I want to take a shortcut. I want to go to college, get a degree. Now I need to be the CEO. Nothing in between. But if you ever want to see a picture of how that plays out, you should look at this documentary called 30 for 30, Broke. The thing is, these athletes grow up usually poor. They become the CEO of a company, a multi-million dollar company, at age 21. And chances are, you're going to do stupid things. Because you don't have the foundation. You don't have the knowledge base. You don't have the experience And so we're always shocked when it doesn't work out. The reality is, it's not going to work out because they're not properly prepared. And even after Jesus spent three years preparing them for the ministry, we find in Luke chapter 10, verse 3, where he goes, Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Because Jesus knew, although he had done the training, although he had done the work and the preparation, there's still going to be things that we're going to run into our lives that we are not ready for. As a life group leader, um, I think we've been doing it about eight years now, there's still moments where I have to call Uh, Steve or Julie or some of the other life group people or Pastor Paul because we're having a conversation and honestly I don't know how to answer the question because people can come up with some pretty creative things to make you awfully distracted next discipleship is our priority because it's how you go from professing Christ to living for him And I've kind of alluded to this already. You're not dunked, you come out, you're ready to go. Now, a lot of us are, and we go charging out there. And unfortunately, I think sometimes as mature or or, or believers who've been in this a while, we stand there and do this. You're going to find out (laughs) 
just how hard this is. Because the enthusiasm of the new believer is they don't know the rules. They don't know how hard it's going to be. And they're very enthusiastic because the thing is, when you realize how wonderful it is, this gift that you've just received, you want to share it with everybody else. One of the things I said 10 years ago when we moved here was, I hope I never, ever lose that view of the rims that I felt I had the first time I saw them. We often seem to take things for granted over time instead of trying to renew every day just how exciting it was the first time. You see that in marriage. I'd like to look at my wife every day and say, I am just excited as the first day I ever saw you. Now, do I pull it off? No. I wish I did. I think she wish I did too. But the reality is there's moments where I'll look at her and I said, I wish you could see you how I see you. I wish you could see how important and how precious I think you are. And I think God says that to us every single day. Don't forget how important and how precious I see you. And so having that zeal leads us into obedience. Discipleship is our priority because it leads us to obedience. Willingly following Jesus out of love. And of course I skipped ahead in my notes and now I see that on the piece of paper. This is where I'm supposed to tell you, you can't, you can't fence in goats and sheep. You don't have to. We don't follow Christ out of drudgery. We don't follow Christ out of sheer will. We follow Christ out of love. And when you follow out of love, there are no limits. I was just sharing with you how I, you know, you look at, if you have a spouse, it's that whole concept of how did you look at each other the first time you realize this was going to be something special? You remember that feeling? For those of you who haven't gotten there yet, it's this incredible thing. And your relationship looks like this. I love you. No, I love you. I love you more. I love you more. If you didn't do that, I feel sorry for you. But you're battling to see who loves each other more. And you invest in each other. And you're patient and you're kind. And then you get married and start saying, well, what about me? I got to give her everything? And do we do that with God? When you're being obedient, when you love God so much... If you're asked to serve in children's ministry, as much as it's not my favorite thing, last week I was in children's ministry holding somebody's crying grandchild. Well, actually, mine wasn't crying. Rick's was crying. I think it was my sweet attitude about being in children's ministry that the baby picked up on. Now, I just made that up. But it's, when you're obedient, you will do what God tells you to do, no matter what that looks like. Even if it means moving to Montana 
to a bigger church, not knowing what your role is going to be, but not being concerned with that, being concerned with being obedient. Next, it leads to us being intentional. You know, one of the biggest things that I see when I talk to people, especially since um, not, not only being in a life group, but as I've seen people in life, we're not very intentional about much. We just kind of want to let it happen. The truth is, if discipleship is going to be our priority, we will have a plan, we will have a purpose, we will have a direction, we will have a goal, and we'll get the help we need to reach all of those. It's not just, we're going to make it through this life like this, but where are we actually going through this life? Here's what happens, and I love this group because this group understands this. There's two places that you stand in life. I remember when I first started doing baseball chapel, I had an opportunity to provide a message where I said, if you had an opportunity to have one perfect season, one perfect season, and I separated everybody in the room into two groups, those who were over 40 and those who were under 24. And I'll tell you the answer to that question. If you're under 24, you'll say no. Because you feel like you're always standing on the edge of promise. There's more than one great season. There's more than one great opportunity. But when you come on this side of 40 and you say, I'll take it. Because you know the difference between what happens between 24 and 40. You've seen life. You know that certain things are very rare opportunities. You don't get to turn back the clock. There is no magical time machine that's going to take you back to this place of promise. All you have is the reality of, I've seen what life happens between these two spins, so I'll take it. And to a man, I've never had anybody say, on the young end, I'll take the perfect time because I know it may never come again. And all the other people on this end say, I'll take it because I know that's rare and it may never come again. Are we planning our lives? Or are you like me where one day I went to bed and I was 20 and I woke up and I was 40? If it wasn't for my wife, I'd still be wearing a members-only jacket thinking it was 1984 because that's how slow I catch up with the rest of the world. But if you don't plan your life, that's what happens. One day you're this age, the next day you're that age, and you're going, what happened to the time? How did I get here? Discipleship is our priority because it also sustains us. I hate big words. I'm from a small town. Do the work of being consistent and persistent. Just like we have to plan and have a function for where we're going, we should also understand that you don't get there right now. You don't wake up and bam, I am where I need to be. There's going to take some work. There's going to take some effort. There's going to take some consistency and some persistence. And then you can get there. 
And last, and number four, discipleship is our priority because it's life-changing. Remember I told you how I started out in a small group? I remember by the time we left that small group, I not only knew that I was the problem, but I knew I had so far to go. And I tell you, every time I feel like I'm even getting a little bit closer, I realize how much farther I have to go. And I thank God that I have the people around me who are going to continue to encourage me to continue to go farther. When you have an active, purposeful discipleship, you develop a stronger relationship with God. You dig into scripture, and you develop a strong prayer life. You have consistent quiet time. You have the the ability and desire to deal with issues of sin in your life. We learn how to worship, and we learn how to endure trials. That's what happens when you're actively and purposefully discipled. It changes our priorities. A heart for what is on God's heart, a heart for the lost, we learn how to have appropriate grace and mercy. You know, when you stand on this side of salvation, it's easy to look at other people and just go, that's a drunk and that's a, um, that's a drunk and that's a drug addict and that's a this and that's a that. And we start to forget that they're people. We start to forget that they're lost people who need God. And when you've been discipled, you start looking at them and saying, I'm not going to condemn them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm not going to turn away and avoid them, but I'm going to try to engage them because that's what somebody did for you. You may not have been an alcoholic and you may not have been a drug addict, but somebody took the time to talk to you and say, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? And last, it allows us to multiply our faith. When you're a disciple, you don't just hold it in. We can take the things of the Bible that God has taught us and pass them on. We can lead Bible studies, and we can act as accountability partners. Discipleship happens in life groups, and life group is where we can connect and build strong relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's how and where we grow in faith, sanctification, and abundant living. Are you living abundantly? I'd like everyone to close their eyes and bow your head. Father, as we have come to this morning with your word, I pray that each is heard according to their need. Lord, I hope that we're spurned on to action, that we will pursue those things that you have called us to pursue. And as we do, Father, give us the strength, give us the perseverance, give us the consistency to be what you have called us to be, which is salt and light to a lost and dying world. And if we don't see that now, I don't think we ever get a chance to see it. Let us be those people who don't wake up one day and say, I don't know how we got here, but I've been actively working to be a part of being a solution. Father, this we pray in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.
you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.